We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. And this week, we are fortunate to be joined by Phil Dussault, who uh, won the 2021 NFBC main event, uh, probably had one of the best fantasy seasons of all time in 2021. Uh, Phil beat me in, in the two NFBC leagues we were in last year, so he still got it. Um, Phil, really appreciate you joining me. How you doing? I'm good. How are you, James? I'm doing great. Uh, this is this is a fun uh, kind of you know pre-holiday pod uh, having you on. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I sent you some kind of questions and like a rough outline, and you looked it over. You only made me delete one of the questions. Um, <laughs> so you're going to be giving the listeners about ninety uh, percent of uh, what what I was hoping you give them, which is which is more than. Uh, I was expecting, so really appreciate that. Um, are you going to are you answer any of my answers though? Keep them to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we'll we'll see what you say. Uh, <laughs> I I I know that uh, you've been really into these gladiator drafts. Uh, it sounds like there's what ten contests remaining in this, or ten drafts remaining in this first contest. Um, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are probably sick of us talking about gladiators it's kind of just kind of ruled uh fantasy baseball for the past month or so uh, but what what's that experience been like for you and you know i know people like uh zach waxman knew they were gonna enter the maximum amount in this first contest as soon as the contest got announced but uh, I, I know that you've gone that same route. Was that a, an easy decision? What what kind of led to you deciding to sort of go all in on this first Gladiator contest? Um, when I heard Roto contest and no in-season work at all, I was I was all in. Um, the only question was how quick I could get my rankings sort of half done um, before they, they'd fill out the contest. Um, so I can kind of sped through the, the last um, few hours of my, my process. Um, still not final, but at least they were good enough to, to start drafting. And I did 32 of them in total. I'm glad I stopped there. Um, like the last few are getting kind of tiring. Um, the same players available in, in the same rounds. It's kind of at, at first it was fun because ADP wasn't all set. Everyone's trying different strategies. Uh, but now when you, when once you get to drafts like I don't know 60 through 100, um, the ADP is a little bit more set. People are sticking to it a little bit more. I think 
Um, so it's it gets repetitive once you get the, the draft 32. Um, but so, yeah, that, that's been kind of my experience. So I, I only did five. I did I did five probably within the first, uh, I don't know, maybe three weeks or so. Um, and you said it's kind of the market sort of stabilized a little bit since then. Uh, do you do you have any sort of strong hypothesis on the best way to to play the gladiator? Do you think that there's just several different strategies that could that could work just fine? Uh, what's what's your read on it? I think all the strategies can work. Um, it always comes down to the, what um, you know, what players you pick, obviously. Uh, but I do think the strategy that for me feels the safest um, is getting starting pitching early. Um, Cause I think all it takes is one Patrick Corbin to ruin your entry. Um, I don't think you can make up a, a six plus ERA or even like a five plus from Barrios or Giolito. Um, Cause you're stuck with all those innings in your starting lineup. You can't take him out. So um, for me, it was getting uh, my last starting pitcher as early as possible. Um, I got some, and w- when I waited, I tried to get some guys that felt a little bit more safe. Uh, guys like Miles Miklis, Sonny Gray, um, Kershaw in this kind of format I was okay with. Uh, I was kind of going to try to protect my ratios, um, hopefully get enough volume if they stay healthy. And then if my, I'm waiting a little bit more on hitting, but if my hitters stay healthy, I just need one of those 32 teams to have all my hitters stay healthy. And I've got the hitting volume there. I've got the pitching ratios and hopefully the, the pitching volume as well. So uh, that's kind of how I approached it. Um, but someone who waited on pitching and hits on two or three guys in late rounds can just as well win. So for me, in terms of, of volume play, being in 32 leagues felt like the strategy that had the best chance of, of cashing in on as many teams as possible and hope that one of them clicks. Um, but um, doesn't mean a strategy that that's right for everyone. How much did you sort of spread around your shares of closers? Uh, if you were going, if you were using those early picks on the the starting pitch, um, the early picks were pretty easy to spread around. Uh, I usually got one early closer on most teams, so I was spreading between Hendricks, Hader, uh, Diaz, Classe, even Presley, Romano. Um, there's enough guys to spread around. Um, I'd sometimes get a second one if someone like Bautista or Helsley um, slipped a little bit. Um, the toughest part was in the late rounds. Um, I was kind of trying to, to spread it around, but I always ended up with, with Dylan Floro, with uh, Jason Adam, with Evan Phillips. Um, when those guys ran out, I kind of looked at AJ Minter, um, Daniel Hudson, um, not guys that will necessarily be targeting in, in other drafts, but in, in this format, they felt like mostly like guys that would give me safe ratios. And then in most cases, their first or second in the floor, I think, is, is the closer in Miami. All the other guys seem to be second in line. So being in my lineup every week, I think they could get me five to ten saves, um, And which in this format you get all of them, unlike a DC where you have to, where you have to time them. Um, but, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, if Floro ends up getting 30 saves and Phillips ends up getting 20 saves, I'll, I'll be in pretty good shape. Are you seeing this uh... – Aroldis Chapman to the Marlins rumor? No, I didn't see that. No, I. I mean, it's possible. Um, but I, I just mean, that made me think of that just because I, yeah. I, I knew you were. I mean, you would. I think I'd seen you or you talked about Floro on, yeah, another Gladiator pod. Um, I guess even if it happens, I, I mean, he's going to be. I mean, first Chapman would have to be somewhat pitching like his old self, which right. I'm not sure, sure is a given. 
Um, but even if not, I think Florida can get five or 10 saves the second guy. And he's got a sub three ERA in his last four years, but no one talks about him for some reason. So um, kind of ratio play with, with upside is kind of how I saw it. So are you kind of trying to get in that sort of uh, like 40 to 50 save yeah. spot with sort of one and a half guys? That's kind of how the majority of yours have played out. I, I was kind of going with, with six and three because I'm getting my starting pitching early. So I, with, with oh. six guys, I think I get enough volume. So I was getting like w- one early who I'm hoping is going to get me 30 to 35 saves and hopefully two guys that I'm expecting at least five saves from. And if things work, work the way I hope they do, um, could end, end up getting 10 to 20. So um, kind of targeting, like you said, 45. But if things work out, it could be 60 to, to 70 saves. So I saw you uh, on Twitter mention uh, a couple days ago, I think, uh, that this time of year you live by ADP. <laughs> um, and I, I I think I know what you mean, but, you know, just for instance, does that basically mean that you have certain players – for certain rounds and obviously you you take the values that fall to those rounds but you just flat out don't consider certain players in certain rounds even if you have them as as the best player available there um yeah basically in the in the gladiators i looked it up in the 32 i've drafted 223 different players so i'd say there's probably 25 percent of the players i'm not touching no matter what um there's another quarter that um if they fall two to two to three rounds, I'll draft them. Like in in one of the drafts, Gregory. I, I mean, I have two shares of Gregory Soto. I don't like Soto. I have zero interest in him. But in one draft, he slipped by forty picks after ADP. Another one by seventy five. Um, so I was okay, but I won't be drafting Soto in the main. Um, it just kind of worked out that well. I figured I'd get my my shares there. Um, the other half. I'm kind of I don't have you ever seen on the NFBC ADP page when you're logged into your on logged into your team, um, you can select your own players and then you'll see if you took them before or after ADP. Um, if you take them after ADP, it's green. If you take them before ADP, it's red. Um, so I've been kind of going for what I call the all green team, where I can draft all guys after ADP. Um, it's kind of what I was targeting in, in Gladiators. Um, and I wasn't, I mean, I'll never reach for a guy. I take guys, I won't take guys I don't like, but I'm kind of taking guys I like that I'm neutral on, um, after ADP. Um, that's been kind of the goal. Uh, but it's not like, um, in, in, in like every sixth round, I'll target a specific player. Um, it's just when I get to the sixth round, if there's five guys I'm okay with, um, I'll take the one that has the earliest ADP basically. And the one that fits my team, obviously at, at that point. So is the, so like, I guess we're, we're kind of talking about gladiators here, but, uh, would that just refusal to take a player ahead of ADP, would that still apply if you were say entering three gladiators or four or five gladiators, or is it, does it kind of work? well because you're doing so many it probably would um i mean it, it doesn't really apply to everyone else it's just since last year everyone is paying so much attention to what i'm doing um which is kind of getting annoying uh, <laughs> <laughs> but i noticed people in those drafts that are looking at my draft boards and saving them and seeing what guys i'm drafting most often and all that stuff um and i sometimes my boards make their way onto twitter things like that so 
um it's kind of a rule I, I put in where i try not to reach for for anyone uh once i get the bigger money drafts then it'll change but for now i'm kind of trying to, to keep it that way uh, but Man. it's not something i necessarily recommend doing if you're drafting two gladiators and you're spending say 500 dollars on all your teams this year then at this point just get your guys and believe in them i feel like if you're spending more than 10 minutes studying Phil's gladiator drafts. You should <laughs> really think about getting a life. Um, okay. Well, yeah. Probably, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's something. Uh, so every time you pick a guy, the, the closer you pick a guy to ADP, the more noteworthy that is for all those draft board watchers out there. Um, <laughs> so I, when I, when we first kind of booked this podcast a uh, month or two ago, I told you to keep an eye out, uh, keep your ear to the ground for uh, the worst piece of advice you've heard out there uh, so far this this draft season. Is is there any sort of piece of analysis or strategy advice that you've seen or heard that you think is particularly unhelpful or harmful to the drafting public? Um, I didn't notice anything that apparent. The one Twitter debate, I guess I could say, I kind of got involved in um is is it was about um which um i don't remember who made the tweet i'm not picking on that person it's just something i see really often is like what um how many catchers would be comfortable with as as your catcher one and my response was like 31 because it just doesn't matter who your catcher one is or i think my response was 29 sorry where i if i draft the last two catchers i'm okay if i'm strong everywhere else um like it's not, it, it applies to first base, to third base. I hear it so often. You have to get your third base by X round because they run out. Well, if your third base is really weak, it doesn't matter. It's not a category. It's about how all the stats add up together. Um, in my biggest money league last year, um, Yandy Diaz was my starting third baseman. I took him, I want to say around 27, um, just because of how draft worked out. I'm not going to pass up on value in round 15 if if i love a starting pitcher there just because i have to get my my third baseman my or my cat my catcher one by that point um the one position where it might apply is shortstop because at one point there's a big drop off uh but we're talking like round round 20 it has nothing to do with, with what most people are talking about where you have to get so and so by by round 10 i guess what kind of works with that as well is every time i hear um i'd be comfortable with whatever player is my sp3 but not my my sp2 um i'd be comfortable with like joe musgrove as my sp1 if my sp7 is better than everyone else's um it's just i kind of look to build a team like we're not building a rotation for the playoffs where you have to have a, a sp1 that's that can match that can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with someone else's sp1 uh we're just building a fantasy team where all the stats count um so that's kind of the only thing that came to mind where I've, and I, I feel pretty strongly about this, <laughs> as you can probably tell. Yeah, I think you you articulated that very well. Um, and I'm not so, picking on anyone who mentions that on podcast. I know we're all, I mean, it's kind I, of. I, I'm sure I've said something um, close to that at some point. Um, so I, I yeah, might no, have I, said it as well, but it's kind of an automatic thing that sometimes we say because we hear it and we kind of repeat it. But when I think about it, um, it, it, it kind of it, it just bugs me because uh, mm -hmm. I don't think it's true at all. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think like when I when I 
if I ever say something like that, um, I'm more so talking about like my preferred way to build. I'm not yeah. saying this is what you, the listener, should do in all your drafts. Um, so yeah, I think you, you gotta use the right words, I guess, when you're when you're saying stuff like that. Um, so I I don't know if you recall, like I, I know you haven't been playing fantasy baseball for decades or anything like that, but um, it does seem like the the starting pitcher market is is really odd right now, uh, in just in terms of how late the the sort of true sp ones are going on average and uh i'm i'm curious what you think uh will happen once we get to march uh late march specifically in the the kind of you know main event season of nfbc drafting um do you think we're gonna see and let's just say like you know maybe two of the top 20 pitchers come up with like a an injury between now and then um because someone will probably get hurt in spring training, but like, do you see the SPs really shooting up the board come March or is this just a, a different year with a different amount of depth up top? Um, I don't think the top guys are going to shoot up that much. Um, and I kind of looked at, um, I looked at Sierra in 2021 and 2022, just to compare. And I adjusted to the league average. Um, and when I, when I ranked them, um, 29 of the top 46 were in 2022 and at least 17 for 2021. So it's just the the way, but the top guys were just as good in in 2021. So it's just kind of the way there's more better pitchers and it has nothing to do with the ball or anything like that. It's just the way that the pitching talent is kind of spread around. Um, And what happens is in past years, sometimes we had say nine or 10 guys that were good. Uh, One of them gets hurt. And then what happens is if you have the third pick or fourth pick, um, you know the top nine guys are going to be gone by your second round pick. So when that happens, then someone like me takes Cole or the Grom at, at pick three or four or even pick one. Um, and then when you do that and everyone moves up. This year, like I said, there's 29 compared to, to the 17 last year in terms of, of ranking. I mean, it, 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 I looked at Sierra because it's a, a, a predictive stat um just kind of show the spread but there's more better pitchers so we won't see a garrett cole going that early because i think pretty much everyone is comfortable with um at least someone who's projected to go in the third or fourth round as their sp1 uh but i think what will happen is um those top 30 guys are going to start creeping up um or wherever we we put wherever the, the cutoff ends up um not everyone lives by ADP like I do at this time of the year, but we're kind of it, the price we see right now is kind of the price. And but once you get to March, if someone really likes, say, Luis Castillo, he's going to bump him up to the third round. Then someone else really likes someone else is going to push him up. So all of a sudden, the guys that we think you you could get in rounds five or six, um, you're not getting your favorite guys anymore, getting the leftovers. So um, I do expect that group to get pushed up where we're going to see big run in, on starting pitching in rounds three, four, and five. Um, and, and once you get to round six, you won't have the same pitchers available that, that you have right now. Um, but I don't think we'll see the shift in, in round one just because, like I said, um, everyone's comfortable with taking their guy in rounds three, four, five. Yeah, yeah, I think that all makes sense. Um, for people that listened to this podcast last offseason – uh, you 
uh, I think I asked you about the top kind of four or five uh, pitchers by ADP. And if, uh, you know, something along the lines of like, did, does this kind of all check out to you? And you mentioned that uh, Walker Bueller was sort of uh, the outlier and the one who you wouldn't be comfortable taking um, kind of in that, that clump of, of the SP ones that were going sort of late first, early second. Um, you know, obviously that turned out right. I, I guess I, I didn't have Walker Bueller, but I, yeah. I'm not sure how much of that was um, what you were talking about or not. But uh, nonetheless, if you took Walker Bueller early, it didn't go well for you. Um, is there, so do you have a similar fade at all in that sort of clump this year of say like Corbin Burns, Garrett Cole, Sandy Alcantara, Jacob deGrom, Dylan Cease, Shane McClanahan, Spencer Strider, Brandon Woodruff, and Aaron Nola. Uh, those are the only pitchers who currently have a, a draft champions ADP in the first three rounds. Uh, I think I listed off like eight or nine guys. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of speaks to how late they're going, but yeah. um, does that do any you know, one or two of those guys sort of stand out to you as, you know, that's not how you would use one of those, those early picks. Everyone who's, who's listened to me knows exactly where I'm going with this answer. Um, it's Sandy Alcantara. Um, not, I mean, I've kind of made the point before, but um, I know his, his overall numbers look good last year with 14 wins and 207 strikeouts. Uh, but both those numbers are with a 2.28 ERA. And um, wins and in, in innings and strikeouts are so tied with the ERA. And I don't think anyone's projecting Sandy for, for 2.20 ERA. Or if you are, then you're right to take him there. Uh, but, I mean, a fair projection is probably low three ERA. Um, and if you do that, he doesn't throw as many innings. He doesn't get as many strikeouts. He doesn't get as many wins. Um, so those numbers that we think he's, he's weak in um that look okay right now um don't look okay if he's a three yari pitcher um and for me if i compare him with, with framber valdez he's going 60 picks later i don't think there's a huge difference between the two um if i mean maybe in terms of being safe and um health but in terms of skills they're both ground ball pitchers they both get um i guess around eight caper nine um I, and Framber is on a better team. Um, Sandy probably better whip, but I think that kind of even ends out with 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 the the team context. So um, he's the guy I'm fading, and I know I I, I fed him last year as well, and I was wrong. Uh, but I, I'm doubling down this year, and I'm, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm wrong again, then so be it. And th- I mean, there's obviously a chance that he's one of those pitchers that can um, suppress his the, the the metrics, the Sierra, the xFIP, um, and that he's one of the exceptions. But um, most more often than not, those guys some at least regress to, to a certain degree to to those to those metrics. So um, I'm I'm kind of banking on that. Um, if he does it again this year, then I'll reconsider next year. But I I'm I'm not looking to, to take that risk uh, this year. Yeah, I I I love Sandy, but uh, I haven't taken him yet this year. Um, and I know last year, in, like we could look at his last two months and say, I think his strikeout per nine in the last two months last year went up to ten or eleven. Like he 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 finished the year really well, uh, but he didn't do that this year. I think in the second half this year, Merrill Kelly has more strikeouts, um, just because of the volume. Um, so um, 
I'm just I, I'm not buying it this year. Um, I, I'm not sure why his 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 ADP is, is as uh, his, as it is right now compared to last year. When last year we had something at least some hope that he could be a new pitcher. Um, now it's been a couple of years. I think we know who he is, an eight K per nine kind of guy um, who's done well forcing ground balls and having good ratios. But I'm not sure if that can last. Yeah, and uh, the Marlins. Uh... Probably going to be just as bad <laughs> as they were last year. If not worse. Uh, if not worse, <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. Uh, very fair points. Um, so uh, this is a – so this is a – I'm calling this the, the Dylan Cease question. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Um, so let's say the picture you have projected, and we're kind of talking, we're not necessarily talking about like gladiators. Yeah. Uh, we're sort of talking like the your, your biggest money leagues, your most important leagues, the ones you want to win the most. Um, let's say the pitcher you have projected as your third best starting pitcher, uh, has an ADP in the sixth round. Um, maybe we can maybe even just say like fifth round if, it, if we're talking late March. Um, but you know, not in the first few rounds. Um, what's the earliest you will take that pitcher? Uh, you know, how long will you let them be your best player available before you take them? And is there sort of a, um, let's say it's the main event. Uh, I don't know how many main event entries you're going to have this year, um, but is there a certain amount of exposure you'd be willing to have on that pitcher? Like, would you be willing to have them on, on all your main event teams? Um, for main events, I'll try probably, like in the first 10 rounds, probably no, no more than half. Um, and I think this I'll probably be doing two mains, so just one out of two mains. Sure. Um, in terms of, of higher money leagues, where I'll usually save those, um, those I mean, I'll, I'll get them in, in usually for mains. If I'll do them first, um, I'll hope to get him at ADP in his first main. If if not, then I'll might reach around in, in the second main, get him in fifth. Uh, if he's a sixth round pick, um, in my last year, my biggest money league, the, the diamond, uh, which was ten thousand dollars. I set the min picks for both Cease and Gosman. Um, so I usually look I usually look at the min picks from the main event so far. Um, and I try to set a new min. Um, I got them, I got Cease in round three and Gosman in round four. And I kind of targeted a it was the twelfth pick I had. Um, I was targeting late picks. I knew I could get those guys there. Um, and I, I got two hitters to start the draft because I mean they were targets I, I knew I'd get them because I was setting min picks. Um I mean, you never know for sure, but that was kind of the goal. I love both those two guys. It, it worked out, but yeah, um, I'll I'll look at the min pick and and try to set my KDS so I have a pick a little bit before that, and I can I can take advantage. So do you you have you signed up for your two mains yet this year? Um, I have. Uh, well, no, I I mean I'll I'll be doing the uh, the Saturday morning one in Vegas, um, nice. and then the second one I haven't decided. I'll I'll probably um, find an online one that feels a little bit weaker. Um, which so don't don't be don't be offended. Um, <laughs> if someone sees me <laughs> in a lot signing signing up for the main event, but I mean there I mean weaker. There's obviously I mean a couple of names that we all try to avoid. Um, all the the, the NFBC greats, the Mark Cerebro. Um, and then I'll see all, all my friends, but um, there's my, maybe a list of, of five to 10 guys. So I try to avoid. And if I see main without any of those guys, I'll, I'll probably try to jump in and uh, take advantage. Nice. I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, I think I'm doing a Saturday. Am I doing a Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon? I'm not sure. Um, but I'll, I'll see you out there. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, people are always trying to, you know, wish cast and make a case for why a hitter uh, is going to outperform their projection, uh, you know, steamer, whatever, whatever projection system 
um, you want to look at. Uh, but I was curious if there are any good hitters, uh, maybe pick one or two or something like that. If there are any good hitters who you think the public projection systems are too high on. Um, the two that come to mind are J-Rod and Manny Machado. Um, Machado, the, the one thing I notice is um, – he had 32 home run. If we, I guess, if we adjust for the ball, that's probably his highest total since at least 2018. Uh, but his max EV is the lowest of his career. So something's kind of not adding up there. Um, and I don't think that's something projections are picking on, uh, picking, picking up on. Um, and I could, I could see him having a, a down year, um, especially if you believe the, um, the even an odd year of, of the, the pattern he's had in his entire career. Um, but I, I just don't, um, when, when I look deeper in terms of power, I just don't see the power he had. Um, I mean, there's, there were signs last year that he shouldn't have that. He should not have hit that many home runs. I don't think the the projections are picking up on that. So he's one guy that'll probably, um, fading unless his price drops in in the early rounds. The other guy, like I said, is J-Rod, um, just because of the weird, um, how his stolen bases evolved last year. He was 21 in the first half and only four in the second half. And I know he was injury-related to some extent. Um, but I think all the projections are seeing is that he stole 25. I think it's 25 um, last year. Um, and that he stole a bunch in the minors. But I'm not sure they're adjusting for the risk of not stealing in the second half. Um, and obviously, I wouldn't be surprised if he had 40 stolen bases this year. But I'm not sure. Steamer has him right now for 25. Um that to me seems high for a median projection. Um, I'd be more tempted to have him between 15 and 20 based on what we saw in the second half. Um, and him being such a, an integral, or sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. 25 based on the old stolen bases rule, which is more like 30 based on the new rule. So uh, if we're talking new rules, 15 to 20, um, for me, that projection seems high, and stolen bases obviously such a huge part of of any player's value. Um, that if if I think he's going to steal ten bases fewer than his project his projection, then I, I obviously have him much much lower than than where where they have him. I don't know how do you how do you feel about his his speed? I, um, I someone someone mentioned the first half second half splits to me um, a while ago. Uh, I. I mean, I like the player he was in the second half uh, yeah. quite quite a bit. Um, he, you're definitely right about the stolen bases. It was um, so he had played 91 games in the first half and 41 games in the second half. Um, and yeah, the injury thing. Um, I mean, I he's just he's so good that yeah. i think uh like 18 steals from him and he's still a first rounder um to me um yeah i don't know i i think you could do i, I still have him as sort of part of that that first kind of tier of five or six hitters to start things off with who are going to get you everything um yeah but I, I, I can see, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, you know a lot more about him that, than I do. Um, for me, it's kind of just the risk. Obviously, uh, the upside is huge. Uh, but the way I kind of build my teams, yeah. I prefer someone safer. 
um like I, it doesn't mean he's a bad pick it's just for me the risk of that of him i mean i wouldn't be like i said i'm not i wouldn't be surprised if he stole 40 but if he steals 10 then he really needs to be huge offensively um in terms of, of power and average which obviously is possible uh but um i just feel safer which with a bunch of other guys up there yeah i wonder yeah i mean his uh his splits are it's it's funny because he he was a better hitter in yeah. pretty much every metric in the second half than he was in the first half yeah and i wonder if cuz i do know like part of why i i liked like jazz a lot last year is i just knew that stealing bases was really important to him um yeah like he some of these guys like just judge themselves against you know ronald acuña and just kind of want to um compete in the counting stats and like you know you want to every every player like actually does want to go 30 30 and and that type of thing Um, rosarena is one of those guys (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah that's true um so yeah, I I mean, I would be surprised if anyone who took Julio Rodriguez in the first round uh, regretted the pick because of anything he did. Um, but yeah, if you take him and you you think, okay, I've got twenty five steals. Um, if you only get you know fifteen yeah. or twelve, um, you probably will wish you'd taken someone else. Um, but yeah, I don't know. He's he's the type of guy that I I'm not I I don't want to have him on like a bunch of my teams, but I I'm, I'm not afraid to take him in the first yeah. round, I guess. Um okay. Well, so this is a look, you and this is kind of a, a you and and Steve Weimer uh, type of question here. Um who are a few of the and and kind of the the opposite of the Julio Rodriguez question? Uh, who are a few of the worst players in terms of sort of per plate appearance, uh, per inning value added? Who you draft? Who you were willing to draft and and have drafted maybe just because of the playing time situation and like the, the cost involved, like kind of the anti Julio yeah. Rodriguez, the type of players that some people just aren't interested in drafting because they know they're terrible real life players. Yeah. Um, if I'm looking at my player shares right now, um, Trent Grisham is one that kind of stands out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he's very good, but he's good defensively. Um, and worst case scenario is going to play against righties, which should get him 500 to 550, but the Padres don't have much depth. Um, I know they signed Matt Carpenter today, but I don't think that that changes much. Uh, I'm not even sure they have someone who can platoon with, with Grisham if they decide if he's terrible. Um, so he's kind of one of those guys that stands out. Um, trying to see if there's another one. Um, honestly, there's a bunch of Padres in here. Um, <laughs> Young Kim. I mean, I don't think he's, I mean, he's, he's a decent real life player, but in terms of fantasy, he hasn't done that much, um, but he should get the playing time. The Padres went really top heavy. So um, guys in that lineup are going to get counting stats um, and they they don't have much depth. So I think as long as they just play half decently, they're going to keep playing. Um, I guess I can say you on Moncada as well. Um, yes. I, <laughs> yeah. How, there, there's a, 
I, I've got uh, some Mankata and some Kim. Uh, did not have any Trent Grisham. Um, probably because I just am scared of taking someone that's that bad. Um, yeah. But, but <laughs> I, I, you know, welcome. I mean, I, I think uh, I, I definitely understand the, the Hassan Kim um, thing with just where he's going. Uh, yeah. And then if you think he's going to play every day. Um, yeah, Mancata. I I know. Uh, you know, it's it's ugly just looking at sort of the season lines from him uh, these past yeah. couple of years. But he's he's kind of like the the perfect answer to this question in my in my opinion. Yeah, it's just he's just gonna play. Uh, like he's not gonna hit eighth. Um, so. He's one of those yeah. guys when I got the end of my gladiator draft and I needed a corner infield, I just click on CI and I I look through four or five guys. I'd see I don't know, Wilmer Flores, I'd see um whoever else was there. Uh and I'm like, ah, oh my god, it's gonna play. Click on him and <laughs> we'll see what happens. I love I love it, man. I, I love uh I love getting the Mancata Kim types in the the gladiator, uh just because yeah. it's you're you're kind of just getting those those late plate appearances. Um, let's see here. Oh, I I don't know if I wonder how many people out there make their own projections, um, kind of the way like you do. Uh, but is there? And I, I always get I always think it's cool like seeing like the stuff that goes into like you know Derek Hardy's the bat yeah. and and like you're you've got like specific parks that are bad for strikeouts which is yeah. something that like you know 15 year old me would have had no idea what that meant <laughs> um is there are there any sort of inputs into your projections that you think uh people might be surprised by or maybe that people just aren't considering much in their prep that that you think might be valuable um I, I think that, I mean, there's nothing that stands out that much as, as being weird. Um, I think would probably surprise most people is the formulas like I have for, um, say, for pitchers for pitch mix improvement. It's It seems like something I have to go through every pitcher one by one to see if they made a pitch mix change. But it's something I came up with formula that kind of, and that I tested with, with I back tested with, with data that shows me it works. Um, so that part is kind of, that the one I like the most. Um, think what something else that kind of noticed and might surprise people. Everyone thinks it's like um, not kind of feed through that being called the, the robot, um, where it's kind of um, you test something, it works, you put it in. But there's so many ways to test a certain statistic. Um, you can. Um, um, you can put a max value and a min value. You can say anyone above this threshold is is gets a boost in my system, or anyone worse than this gets gets downgraded. You can look at how he improved in a metric compared to the previous year. Um, there's just so many ways to take the same number and either give it a boost or a downgrade. It's not just you put everything and then if it works then great but i mean once i determine once i think a statistic might help i mean i'll spend three hours testing the different methods to, to do it to, to come up with with a formula that helps um and the other thing is there's so many things that are correlated like last year 
in my formulas, I had the, um, for pitchers, the percentage of balls that were hit to the opposite field um, against a pitcher. Because usually when you when you get pitchers to hit um, oppo, you give up fewer home runs. It's weaker contact. Uh, but this year, it's not in my formulas because either with last year's data, it, it didn't work as well. Um, but it could be that I came up with, I added something else that gets me the same result. Um, like, I'll often hear people say, um, I mean, the, the big debate about around max EV, um, if if I can pick one number to project home runs, I'm not picking max EV, but I don't have to use just one number. I can pick 30 different numbers and put them all together, but that one number gives me something that nothing else gives me. Um, so you don't need to know which exact statistics is the best at projecting home runs. It's about combining everything, and sometimes... Um, for me, I can use um, Max EV, but Derek Cardi might use three other numbers that get him the exact same result. So it's kind of how everything's correlated. It, it ends up being more of an art than a science where you're trying to combine things that give you the best results. Um, but whether you set, um, like, what's your threshold for minimum plate appearances when you when you do a test? Are you testing all the players? Are you testing all the ones that had at least 500 plate appearances? There's just so many ways to test things that, um, like, to, to, to get to a specific result that um, it's it's a lot more feeling than people would, would think it is. Um, I, know, I know it's kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but that's kind of what goes in, into my, my formulas and my projections, just... A lot of testing, a lot of trial and, error, trial and error, a lot of guessing and hoping it, it works out. Yeah, I mean, the the, the trial and error part's interesting because I, I know, um, you know, you've, you've talked about this, like you probably didn't have as great of a year just drafting last year yeah. as you would have liked and you did a lot of your best work uh, on the waiver wire. Uh, so sort of, you know, after a year like that, how much how much tinkering and how much like what percentage of your projections did you sort of change something with uh to try to kind of get better um heading into 2023 um i went well first of all i went over everything to make sure there were no mistakes in the formulas <laughs> I, I found some of them um and, but yeah i removed a lot of um what I, I mean basically the way i start is i have a basic projection based on stats like um sierra k percentage all that stuff and i usually average that with steamer uh just because steamer does add value and the best results i get is, is when i average the two of them and then after that i have um what i call magic factors in in big quotation marks um where just random things that can impact every category so for pitchers it can be the strength of the bullpen for example um and then all those things i put together i'd say in my magic factors again in, in big quotation marks um, I probably, I might've had 20 to 25 and I cut that down to somewhere around 15, uh, just because there's a bunch that didn't work as well last year or that tested well. But I went, when I thought about it, it just, I couldn't explain it. So if I can't explain why something is helping, then I try to, I just decided to remove it. Um, so a bunch of things, but yeah, I, I went over everything, um, the biggest change I created a formula called Stuff Sierra, uh, where it's a projected Sierra based on um, just the, the movement, the velo, um, the pitch mix, the and a bunch of other things command uh, to a certain extent 
Um, and that part is, I think, has helped the formulas. I think in season will help as well, trying to, um, I mean, it came from understanding why I wasn't on Spencer Strider, I guess, um, and why I didn't pick up anywhere and kind of upset. Usually it's, it's, it's how I start things. I find what I missed on and I see how can I be on that player next year. And then, so that's kind of the idea I came up with to, to be quicker on, on, on pitchers early in the season. So, um, to answer your question, yeah, I made probably way too many changes, to <laughs> <what> I <have laughs> but I was upset when I tested my things and I was, I looked at how it, how it ended up compared to other projection. I was upset. I mean, I got it. I, and I need, I need to figure this out and be better. So I, I tried, uh, I tried to, to be better and improve it. And now, now everyone in the gladiator one contest is going to live with the consequences. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, couple more uh, questions. Uh, this one is very self-serving, uh, but um, let's say that I think uh, Rowdy Telez, uh, Josh Naylor, and Matt Mervis are going to have productive seasons, but they will sit more against left-handed pitchers than the Matt Olson, Vinny Pasquantino, Nathaniel Lowe, lefty first basemen who go earlier. Uh, is that sort of and like Telez, I think uh, a little over 22% of his plate appearances came against lefties last year. Naylor, 26% of his plate appearances came against lefties. I'd uh, probably expect Mervis to kind of be in that, that low 20s range as well. Um, is that sort of half platoon kind of cooked into to the ADP with those? I mean, I, you might not even have um, – an opinion on Mervis necessarily, but like, you know, with Telez Naylor, do you think it's kind of cooked in uh, to the ADP um, to the point where they're, they're fine picks where they're going or does just that fact that they won't be true everyday guys kind of just really lessen any appeal to you? Um, Cause I, I know you're, you're chasing plate appearances. Yeah. Um, first, I think it's baked into the ADP. Um but I think what that often means, it's an, it's an opportunity. Um, I'll take, I know it's kind of different, but it, it leads to the same point with Tommy Edmond last year. Uh, when people saw him hitting ninth in spring training, they panicked and they didn't want him hitting ninth. But I love the skills. Um, and I figured if you love the skills, he's going to start off, he should hit well, and then he's going to move back up. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with 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 Rowdy, with, with Naylor and... With Matt Mervis, if you love the skills, like if you think Matt Mervis is going to have like a 130 WRC plus, then he's going to hit against lefties and he's going to play more than what's baked into his ADP or what projection systems have him for at this point. So um, those guys, like I said, it's buying opportunity just because if if you love the skills, then you should feel pretty confident he's going to hit, hit against lefties and get 600 plate appearances. Um, whereas the projections are more at least for most of the guys around five to, to five fifty, I think Mervis is lower. That'll probably change if um, in spring training. Uh, but then, if you don't like the player and you think he's just he's not considered against lefties, then you probably have him closer to four hundred, four fifty, or five hundred. So um, for me, it's it's baked in the ADP, and there's often with with guys like that. Um, if you like the player, then it's you're getting a discount. Yeah. Uh... Dansby Swanson, kind of another example from last year. I know a lot of people yeah. were off him because they thought he was going to hit seventh all year. Um, 
which obviously didn't happen. But maybe that would maybe that wouldn't have happened if if people hadn't gotten hurt. But um, yeah. But I mean, he started off well, so they they moved him up. If yeah. if if you don't like the skills and he doesn't hit well, then he's not going to move up. So it's kind of um, I mean, like like anyone, whether it's a lefty or a guy that's projected to hit the seventh, eighth, or ninth. Um, usually guys like that are if you love the skills the guys you should buy in on because you're, you're getting a discount on, on where they would be if, if everyone thought they they um they, they should hit higher do you uh so for like what about some strict platoon like do you I'm trying to think how to phrase this uh like how like opposed are you to taking let's just say a hitter who you think is just basically going to do exactly what steamer thinks he's going to do. Like how opposed to taking a guy who you're pretty confident is going to sit against um, lefties. Like, are you just really doing your best to not have those guys on your team? Yeah. Um, in a draft champions or gladiator, I'll, I'll, I'll pick the player because at some point you, you, you run out, but in, in a main event in Fab League, I'll rarely hold on to those guys and I won't even draft them uh, just right. because I know once the season starts and we see the lineups, there's going to be guys that we didn't expect that are playing every day um, that I'll want to pick up over those guys. Um, and Jock Peterson is is one of those examples. Last year I drafted him because I thought he, he'd have a chance to play every day. He never did. I dropped him early in the year um, and I regretted for a bit, but I think at the end it was it was an okay. Um, and I actually explained that in the um, FTN guide coming out tomorrow. I have an article about about dropping players, and he's one of the players I talk about. Um, where I made the drop, regret it a little bit, but in the end, I think it was the right move the way the way things worked out. Um, despite the great season, just sitting against all lefties, just it's so hard to get proper value um, in draft champions. Like I said, it's different, but in the Fab League, um, I, I don't think they're, they're guys that they should be drafted. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you probably it perfect scenario would have held Peterson for like two more weeks or something last year. Um, yeah, the pro- exactly. The process yeah. was probably sound. Um, and even even when I I look back at his stats, like you can say, oh, he hit I don't know how many home runs he ended up hitting, but um, like there's so many of those that came. He hit yeah, uh, 23 home runs last year. Um, but there's so many of those that came when he was like scheduled to face one righty on the weekend. Um, sure. I think his two or three home run game um, happened when he was supposed to face two lefties and a righty. So you were sitting him in there. So anyone who, who, who hung on to Peterson all year, there's no way you got all, all 23 home runs. Um, and even though he was healthy for most of the year and he had a great year better than, than you could have hoped for. So um, kind of similarly to like the platoon question, I want to ask you about uh, Rockies hitters. Um you know, we all sort of know, like CJ Crone, Brian McMahon. You know, terrible on the road, etc. Um, yeah. How do you use Rockies hitters in the NFPC? Do you shy away from drafting them? Do you only draft them in certain formats? Do you draft them just for their home games in like in DCs? Do you do you like accept that it, at a certain point? CJ Crone's worth the the cost, and you'll you'll try to get him out for the the road games when you can. Um, but you're gonna try to hold him, or like just how low is the bar for like a Rockies hitter you'd you'd pick up to stream for home games? Like, how do you yeah. kind of go about using Rockies hitters in the NFBC? 
Um, so in a in a best ball of the DC or Gladiator, for example, I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll project full season numbers uh, just like I do for every other player. Uh, but in those contests where I know I can get some type of replacement value when he's on the road, um, I'll I'll use it as tiebreaker, I guess, and push them up a little bit. Uh, just because I know I can get those home stats and maybe half their away games they'll be on my bench and I'll have someone else I can I can put in. Um, in a fab league, um, I'll project them for full season, expecting them to be in my lineup. Uh, just because if you choose to replace CJ Crone for three games on the weekend and use a pickup or first baseman to, to replace him, um, you're losing value elsewhere. Like that, that roster spot could be a closer spec, could be a starting pitcher that you hang on for a couple more weeks or an injured player that you pick up early. It's just that those roster spots are so valuable. I think in a main event, you just end up starting him pretty much all the time because you don't have any better options. Unless you're really lucky with health and you can afford it. Uh, I know he's got bench hitters, but um, I mean, we've, I mean, I'm sure from your experience, you've had the same experience where you can you can think, oh, I I can I'll I'll sit Crone um, when he's away from Coors will be great, but then once the season starts, it works for a couple of weeks, then you get it to May and June, and then you're like, I got so many injuries, and I just, he's in my roster all the time. So um, that that's kind of how I go about it. As far as, as streaming in Coors, um, I don't like picking up guys a week early for for playing in cores or or i guess for, for rockies hitters um if if i if i have a stretch in the year where everyone's healthy then i'll i'll use a bench spot on on a chorus guy that i think will, will play um i i mean i remember streaming jonathan jonathan daza um, <laughs> a bunch of times i think it was two years ago uh just yeah they had chorus games coming up but um it always depends on the health of the roster i guess yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, yeah, Daza's still on the active roster. <laughs> roster resource has Daza leading off. Wow, and, <laughs> and not platooning. Wow, um, wow. Uh, let's see who else is terrible here. Um, I guess like most of these guys would be rostered in a 15 teamer. Um, it usually happens when they have like um, like two or three injuries. Um, and then, like Montero was a hot yeah. pickup last year. Right. Uh, Bouchard, um, who was the other? I forget. Um, uh, yeah, Toglia was the other guy. Um, mm-hmm. They, yeah. they kind of all came up at the same time and going wild for them. Um, but yeah, like that's the only time. Or if 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 it's easier once it was the same thing with with Daza in 2021. It's late in the year when um, if your guy gets hurt, you drop him in in August. And then you just have more roster spots open, so you can afford to to, to pick up guys like that um, that you that you just start in course. But in the middle of the year, it's so tough to hang on to those guys. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I know I th- I think the reason I I just think it's so interesting because uh, like Crone specifically and McMahon, I would think it would kind of be similar too, except that there's the platoon risk with him. Yeah, um, but it's just. I see people sort of pointing out how bad these guys are on the road. Um, but it's almost sort of like, is that actionable? Like in a, like if you're like, you know, CJ Crohn's projected for 28 homers, 88 RBI. Um, if that was just going to come from a player who was going to be the same at home and the same on the road, yeah. no one would be 
talking about it really um so you yeah it's just it's interesting because it's like i know know, yeah i think in theory it's always great but it once you grow through like a full season and in it doesn't have to be in event, but a competitive fab league um it's you just realize that you can't take advantage of of just his home stats yeah yep um so I I know I think I've seen some people talking about this too, but um, Great American Ballpark, uh, far and away the best park factor for home runs uh, according to Statcast. I don't know if you come up with your own park factors or anything like that, but um, I did before and I gave up on it this year because it was just it got annoying <laughs> and it's so hard and <laughs> so now I'm sticking to Statcast. <laughs> so I. How close is Great American Ballpark to Coors Field for you from a streaming standpoint? For hitters, and, or, for hitters, I'd argue it's better. Um, yeah. Just because it's, I mean, Coors isn't a home run park. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a batting average park, and we know in 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 Roto, home runs are more valuable. Um, so I I'd, I'd argue that it's it's a better park for hitters. Um, as far as pitchers on the road, I think it's it's cores it is still that the the toughest and the other thing we need to keep in mind keep in mind with cores is that um hitters on the road don't do as well as the stat cast park factor and and rockies hitters do better in cores than than others um so that's why for pitchers on the road it's harder and for hitters in cores they don't get as, as much of a boost um so that's why I think, yeah, Great American, a Great American, Great American Ballpark, which doesn't have that um, that, that road um, disadvantage, I guess, um, is is better for hitters. But uh, pitcher going to cores, um, especially if it, if it's the if the cores are are if the Rockies are at home for a couple series, um, it's uh, it's 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 the toughest. So do so we we like the the hitters going to Great American. Uh, a little bit more than we even like them going to Coors. We're not as concerned about the opposing pitcher going to Great America as we are with the opposing pitcher going to Coors. What about uh, Reds starting pitchers? Let's say, like, are do you think they get the the is that kind of cooked into their ADP? Like the the fact yeah. that they got to pitch half their games there. I think it is, and I think with with Great American, it's so much about the home runs. Um, which a good pitcher, it's going to be a solo home run. Um, yeah. So it's 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 just valuable for hitters because it's an actual category. But for a pitcher, it's just it's one in whip and, and one in one in ERA uh, or not in ERA, but I guess one run. Um, so that's why not. I mean, it, it's it's baked in. It's it's a tough park. But if if you're like Hunter Green or Nick Lodolo and strike out everyone, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. The pitcher the pitchers behave the same. Um, which isn't the case in course, uh, which which is what makes makes course so tough. And the other thing in course is just everything. If you get in a bad stretch, everything can fall for a hit. I think it's was it Miles Miklos last year in course where he wasn't pitching poorly, but he gave up like nine singles in a row or something crazy like that, where just everything would fall in and it just added up. Um, and there's nothing you can do about that. It's just you make your pitches and. They just fall in, and you get stuck with with the huge, um, huge. Um, well, runs. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're getting destroyed on the ERA front, yeah. and your whip's getting yeah, completely exactly. blown up. Um, 
Yeah, I didn't have any Miklas last year. Uh, was not uh, you and you and Toby and I'm sure some other yeah the, people the TCF crew that we we yeah. got. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, saves. I this is a I, I think. Um, I don't want to speak for you, but I I know there's sort of a a kind of push uh, from people that want to sort of change the rules a little bit and uh, make saves not sort of the crazy category they are right now in five by five roto. Uh, I I just think that it adds such a fun element to like the game, the fantasy baseball game. Um, I think it kind of puts sort of a wrinkle into the gameplay that almost sort of evens the playing field a little bit in, in a, yeah. in a certain way. Like I think if, if it was uh, saves plus holds or something, I am confident that like you and, and Steve would be better at attacking that category, especially in season than I would be. Um, so I actually think kind of expanding it to that would give like an even bigger edge to the people who are best at, at sort of work in the wire and stuff like that. Um, but what are, what's your sort of general thoughts on, um, the saves category in, in five by five Roto? I'm, I'm with you. It's a game. It's meant to be fun. It's not meant to replicate real baseball. And if it was real baseball, then we'd replace stolen bases with, um, I don't know, OBP, WOBA, WRC plus, like that. But then it comes down to just projecting the best hitters. And there's no, it kills the strategy of building a balanced team and all that stuff. I think it, the, the stolen bases and saves are what make, especially the overall contest, um, so great. That you have to find a way to balance and get those categories. Um, so, I'm, I mean, I've, I've gotten better at, projecting saves than I was in the past. I'm getting better at um, picking up saves on the wire. Um, but if it wasn't a category, I mean, the reason I draft early closers is because um, it's not a strength of mine. So I, I draft them early, go for safety. Um, so if you tell me that it's now saves plus holes and I don't have to draft early closers, and I think I can probably take advantage of that um, more so than, than other players. Um, and I feel, I don't know how you feel about wins, uh, but for me, it's it's the exact same thing. It's like, yes, yeah. it's random, but we know the Braves are going to win more games than the Marlins. Um, and it's it's part of, if, if I mean, if you look on an individu- individual basis, yes, it's, it's random, but to a certain extent. But once you add up nine pitchers on a team, um, in the end, the team that drafted pitchers on the better teams is probably going to end up with more wins. Um, and just in terms of fun, I mean, if I'm like Dylan sees last year, if, if he was pitching, he left the game with a three, two lead, I'd watch the rest of the game, which I think what fantasy is about. It's about cheering for your players as, as long as possible. You're yes. It's nerve wracking. It sucks. If, if Hendricks blows the win in the, in the ninth, but I'm watching the game and, I think that's it's 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 what makes it fun. Um, just those nerve wracking moments where you hope he he can close things out and you get a save plus a win for your team. Um, I just I just strongly believe in that. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, I I 
I thought that you and I were going to be pretty aligned on that. And I, I echo everything you said. It's just, uh, it, it, I just do not care at all about it being like the perfect stat or anything. It's just so much fun when you, you need a guy to, you know, get that extra out in the fifth inning. Um, like is, is the manager going to let him get that last out? Is his crappy bullpen going to hold the, the lead? Like, it's just, it adds, uh, just kind of a fun sort of entertainment value that I, and I think what would happen too, is if, um, if we're, if you're going to like war and WRC plus and all those stats, it'll get to a point within the next five years, I think where the projection system are going to get so good, right. Where you're just drafting the best hitters and it's going to end up, everyone's going to be on the same players. There's going to be no team building strategy and just a machine can draft a, a better team than, than we could um, just because the production systems are going to get better. Um, and I think that this little wrinkle to it, um, finding saves and um, balancing stolen bases, balancing categories, something that a machine can't necessarily do. And there's a feel to it. And I think that's what makes the game so great. Yeah, uh, I agree. A um, couple more quick uh, save reliever related questions here. Uh, and then we'll get to 16th round ADP. Um how often do you going into a season, like how often are you expecting to be starting more than two relievers in your 15 team leagues? Um, probably more often than most. Uh, but I think it, it depends on two things. First, um, in the second half last year, I did a lot. Um, and I'd say in terms of volume, like a middle reliever who has seven or eight games that week and who didn't pitch on, on Saturday or Sunday, is probably projected for as many strikeouts as a mediocre one-star pitcher. Um, and I think that's one thing that people don't necessarily realize. I know it, if it's three innings in a week and you can get four Ks, it's probably what you're getting from from your, your worst starting pitcher. Um, so I did it a lot last year, and I'm okay with doing it again. Um, the one thing that makes a big difference um, is um, how many good pitchers you have on your roster. If you're starting the same seven starting pitchers every week, um, then you probably can't afford to remove your seventh and putting another reliever. If you have two aces and then you have seven good pitchers or seven usable pitchers for your last four spots, then you're going to get basically two two start weeks out of those guys um every week so in terms of volume you're going to match up with the person that has just six or seven good starters so if you have that and you um get more out of your first six roster spots then yeah you can afford to start a third reliever um which is kind of what happened to me in in 2021 i started with uh with seven or eight starting pitchers but i had i had so much depth and i just rotating guys get so much volume that at the end of the year i was starting five or six relievers uh, just because I I added up all, all the volume, um, so it kind of depends on on your starting pitchers. But I'm I'm okay with doing it more more so than most. Are there any relievers that that come to mind that have really screwed you um, from from you picking them up to to stream them in? Um, um off the top of your head, there's one guy. Um, what was the name? The guy, um, Kyle Barraclaw with the Marlins. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a throwback. He's, 
I think it was a couple of years ago where he started off the year so well. Um, Tons of strikeouts. Yeah, yeah. And I'm trying to pull it up. Uh, I think it was it was probably in 2019. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at his first. Until May 9th, he'd given up two earned runs with a ton of strikeouts. And then on May 12th, he gave up uh, four runs. May 17th, he gave up three runs. May 22nd, two runs. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure I had him for those games. Um, <laughs> Um, and the other one that comes to mind is um, Nick Anderson. Thanks, mm-hmm. Nick Anderson. He was with Miami, right? And he got traded to, to Tampa. Uh, I'm I'm only recalling him. I'm, I'm sure he was with someone before Tampa. I, I only know him from Tampa, I think. I, I have to look it up. Um, yeah, in 2019, he played with two teams. But yeah, with, with Tampa, he was at, uh, with Miami. He was that guy. Or was it Miami? So I just don't want to say something. Random. Yeah, he was with Miami until the the trade deadline in, in 2019. Um he was that guy with with a bunch of uh with bunch of strikeouts, great exit, but he had like a game on May 4th where he gave up five earned runs, another one on May 17th with three earned runs and no outs. Um I had him for those games where it it's I mean you have to um with more experience, I've learned to kind of just let those games go. Um mm-hmm. just because you can't I mean, he ended up having a good year that year. It's just you can't; they're hard to time. But yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's it's gonna happen if you're yeah. if you're doing that. You know, uh, but like he had a three point thirty two ERA that year. So despite those two or three bad games, it just happened to be in your lineup. But when you, when you look at the whole season, um, you go well, the relievers. I'll stream. I'll go for a if I get a three ERA out of all of them, then I'll I'll be happy. So. Um, it's just trying. You just just have to get over the frustrations of um, having them in your lineup when they have those blowups, thinking that you're using them for ratios, and then they they just blow the whole thing up. But um, that's it happens. It, but I'm I'm interested in this. Uh, um, sorry for the follow ups, but like the uh, like I do the those reliever sort of streaming pickups. How much like what percentage of your sort of in season pickups do you think that that accounts for? Because I know you're you're like yeah. what, did you need some of like the contest last year in terms of total moves and and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, um, at the end of last year it was a lot because I missed in 2021 it was was it was barely nothing because I hit on on the um, on the starting pitching. So when I was going for relievers, I was going for closers. Nothing else interested me. Um, last year I missed out on on the late pitching, so I had to find guys. Um, Andrew Munoz was on after I think I picked him up probably in July on every single team, and I used him every week uh, just for the ratios because had it was it was better than a guy a star I pick up in Fab, and I since I did I didn't draft the the proper guys I guess um, it 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 worked out better than than any other pitcher I could have picked up. Um, but yeah, I'd say like at the end of last year it was probably I had. Munoz that was set I had I guess one real closer on most teams then I usually had a third spot that I'd rotate between uh Brock Berg AJ Minter uh who else Eric Swanson um whoever had seven or eight games that week I'd pick up um so it was probably one roster spot for at least almost for probably the last two months so you you're looking at how many games they have for the upcoming week um did they pitch Saturday, Sunday of the past weekend? Usually, usually Sunday is where I'd, I'd um, draw the line. Yeah, yeah. 
And then you're, are you looking at like their sort of strikeout rate over the last like couple weeks? Like what, like, is it? Yeah, I, I, I do a mix between steamer projection and how they've performed it in the last 30 days. Um, and I'll look also at the, uh, the leverage index and I'll see which ones are being used in the ninth, which ones might have a chance of getting a save, uh, or which ones might, might get a win. Um, it's, it's always, it's a bonus, but I think if you're, if you're using one guy, one roster spot for, for those guys are hoping to get, uh, I mean, relievers on average get about like for a full season, about three or four wins. You're kind of hoping to get five to five or six wins out of that spot because you're trying to get more innings and you're just trying to get guys who are pitching in, in high leverage situations that week. Um, that, so yeah, yeah. You, it's part because if you think about like, if you can get say six wins out of that spot, maybe four or five saves and you're getting guys who are pitching three innings, getting four Ks, you're getting pretty much what a mediocre um, starting pitcher is going to get you in terms of volume, but you're getting better ratios. And you're, and you're kind of betting that, cause like when, usually when I'm plugging in that mediocre pitcher, I mean, nobody wants to do that. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's about the wins. Yeah. usually um at least for me um but are, like if you think if you can get like seven six seven wins out of that spot um that probably is about what you would get from using mediocre starters in that spot i guess yeah probably probably a little bit behind but the, the saves um probably make up the, the difference i guess um yeah. but i do think in strikeouts you can get really close um compared to a no pitcher that comes to mind but um just a bad pitcher that you put yeah. in there <laughs> um someone on the tigers someone from the tigers rotation. or apollo espino say <laughs> oh, well, oh come on <laughs> nobody listen nobody listen to this pod is starting apollo espino. Uh, <laughs> uh so uh this actually came up uh for me in our in the main event that uh, we were both in last year uh where i uh I probably i I definitely used too many draft resources on closers, and I ended up with um. I ended up taking uh, gosh, I can't think of his name right now. Um, who opened the year as the Cubs closer last year? Uh, um, Robertson. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ended up with uh, like two legitimate closers top 12 closers and Robertson and I had sort of saves locked up um, way too early in the season. And then it was sort of like, okay, when do I drop Robertson? Well, I kind of did that fairly early. And then I think I, I think who I dropped, I dropped some other um, pretty good closer at some point um, in the summer. And I'm just wondering like, if you stumble into well, first of all, like, would you ever stumble into three legitimate closers in a 15-team league? And if you did, yeah. how long until you cut the worst one? Um, it's never happened early in the year, but it could happen because I do like in, in in the rounds like 26 to 30 of a main event and just take shots because if usually if I pick up a hitter, if I draft a hitter there, I'll drop him in the second week of the year anyway. So might as well pick up a closer, hope or reliever, hope he gets the job. And if he gets it, then we have got an extra closer. Um but I probably hang on. Do you remember when you dropped Robertson? 
Or I guess when he was traded, uh, it was probably forced. Well, I I I dropped him way before then. Oh, yeah? I think I, I probably dropped him around like Memorial Day because I just okay. oh, I was yeah. up I was up by like fifteen saves. At that wow. Point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I my answer was actually the trade deadline. Um, just because I'm okay getting a huge lead, and then at that point just drop them if if you don't need them because uh, if you drop them earlier than that then you risk um one of them getting traded deadline i guess i i keep them as long as um up to the point where i'm if two of them get traded or lose the job then i'm still okay that's kind of how i see it um nice. you you build enough of a lead to where yeah just having one guy the rest of the way probably yeah um, but it gets tough. I kind of, that, that actually happened to me in, um, in draft champions last year. Um, and I've, I've probably pivoted away from that where I was getting two early guys. Now I got Jorge, uh, Jorge Lopez, um, on every single team in round like 49, just because I was scared someone would take him earlier than that for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't want to wait till round 50. Um, so yeah, I was, I was just killing saves, but all three were so good in ratios. Um, until Lopez got traded, but for, for a long time, I think my other guys were probably Hendricks and um, Romano, where I'm not really going to bet them because they're doing well. Um, and I need the ratio, especially in draft champions. But um, it's probably why in, in main events where I now I, j- I just get one early guy and then take a couple of shots late. Uh, just because like if, if you hit on that late guy, then you want to be able to take advantage of it. Um, whereas if you get two earlier guys hit on them, then the third shot, right. you take it, but you're not, I mean, you, you didn't benefit from Robertson last year, um, right. which is kind of a shame because, um, he was a great pick. Um, well, and, and, uh, I think, uh, I think Steve maybe made this point, uh, or some, someone made this point at the, there's a panel at uh, first pitch Arizona, yeah. um, where like you almost don't want to win you don't necessarily want to finish first in your league in saves. Yeah. You, you kind of want to finish like top three, but not to the point where you've had excess saves Yeah, in your lineup. Um, is that you kind of subscribe to that? Yeah. I mean, cause you, you don't want to have that. Um, like I'm sure if you looked at your team last year and you're like, um, if whatever close, I want to say whoever you drafted say in the fifth round was a closer, you don't want to look back on that and say, well, if I drafted, um, I don't know who will go in that range, but a hitter in that range, then I would have jumped up 100 spots in the overall, um, which, which happens often with saves if you have too many. Just um, so I, I just like having the the no regrets draft, I guess, where you can take advantage of every spot because um, the closer, if you hit on everyone, then it's a wasted pick. And you look back at the end of the year and say, well, if I'd taken a hitter there, um, then I would have been so much better. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, but we're always trying. Sorry, to get sorry for sorry for bringing up <laughs> bad, bad memories. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's. Uh, but that's that almost kind of brings it back to like the just the saves category. It's just uh, it's it makes it so challenging to kind of attack it, um, and and you just want to kind of thread that needle to the point yeah. where you've um, you've gotten some good values in the draft, but you're not. Uh, dropping someone who should be universally rostered um 
midseason. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing Steve's point was probably that the the, the safe scouting is the ones that least that's least correlated to overall success and to, to success in all the other categories. Um, where I say home runs and RBIs are are heavily correlated. So um, right. if you're too high in saves, then it doesn't give you anything anywhere else. Whereas if you're good in in strikeouts, then you're probably also good in ERA and WHIP and in wins um, to a certain extent. So um, I'm, I'm assuming that that was Steve's point. I, I believe we we talked about that before uh, the two of us. Okay, uh, time for the uh, ADP segment. Uh, we are to the 16th round this week. Uh, we've done the 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th round uh, on previous pods. Um, so I'm going to read the players who are currently going in the 16th round of NFBC Draft Champions, uh, which is 5 by 5 standard roto uh, draft and hold. And those players, and then uh, Phil and I are both going to pick a player that we like in this uh, price range and a player we have zero interest in in this price range. Uh, Adalberto Mondesi, Aaron Ashby, Pete Fairbanks, J.D. Martinez, Luis Urias, uh, Colton Wong, Tristan Casas, Brendan Rogers, Bailey Ober, Cody Senga, C.J. Abrams, Andrew Heaney, Nathan Evaldi, Miles Mikolas, and Merrill Kelly. So who is the player of those 15, Phil, that you are willing to say you like in the 16th round? So there's a few I like, um, but I don't want to give away too much. Uh, the one I drafted the most so far is Luis Arias. Um, Urias. Urias, sorry. Yes. Okay. Um, just because when you look at haters in this range even in all the guys who listed he's the one i feel best about in terms of, of playing time uh the brewers um are cheap um they trade away colton wong they interesting assume to, to make room for him um i think he's gonna play a ton um i know at the end of last year they kind of platoon him for a bit um but i just think he's gonna play um pretty good power he's not gonna kill your batting average and i also think he's kind of in that age range where um, players can can break out um, and he could be a surprise. So I think the floor is high just based on playing time, but I do think there, there's upside that that we haven't seen before um, where he could kind of surprise us. Um, probably not to the extent in terms of power like Santander did last year, but um, they're just in that age where sometimes you'll see you'll see a breakout from guys that, that you don't expect because they've been in the league for a while, but think guys that they're still developing and I, I think there's some there's some upside there nice um brewers are cheap uh <laughs> you heard it here from from the robot um it's it's fact um gosh. All i'm right. sure you uh, agree <laughs> yes yes very cheap um so i'm actually gonna my the guy that i like uh, i'm sure most people could probably guess this one uh aaron ashby um, I just think the, the strikeout upside is, uh, pretty intense for him, uh, relative to the type of pitchers that kind of go, you know, in this, this range of the draft. And, uh, I think he's, you know, he, he certainly killed your whip last year. He's probably killed your whip most, uh, or I mean, projections wise, he, he's not going to necessarily help your whip, but I, I think there's a chance he breaks out. Uh, this year, um, kind of 
kind of expecting a breakout this year uh, and just kind of going after the the bulk strikeout upside with with Ashby. Um, I actually don't like a ton of guys here. Um, you have any any thoughts on Ashby, or should we go to our fades? Um, I'm I I you know him better than I do. I've drafted him a few times, like you said, just for upside and what the Brewers have done with with pitchers in the past. Um, I can definitely see it. Probably more of a fab league play. Uh, we're kind of going for upside. Um, not as safe as I say Nicholas or Merrill Kelly in this group. Um, but I can I I can definitely see the upside. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, Cody Senga, he's uh, probably not going in this range anymore. Um, I didn't even check, but uh, yeah, I, I doubt he's going in the 16th round anymore. Um, but I also don't mind him in the 16th if he's there. Uh, all right. Who is the player of these 15 you are least likely to end up with? You just named him, uh, even though he's moving up. My guy is, is Senga. Um I mean, I, I could say Montesi, but sorry, I just snapped the headphones out of my. All right, I'm back. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> this is on video, right? So everyone's going to see that. Well, I didn't. Your audio, nothing, nothing happened with your audio. So. No. <laughs> I just couldn't hear you anymore. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, Montesi is too easy. Uh, yeah. But so I'm, I'm going to say Senga. Um, I know he's great in Japan. Um, and I know some players adjust really well. Um, but when I get a starting pitcher in, in the 16th round, when it's probably my SP five SP four. Um, I just, it's a guy that I expect to be in there and be solid every week. Um, you Kikuchi was great in Japan, probably not as good as Senga, but his first year in the majors, he had, I think six K per nine. Um, the ball's different. The language is different. Everything's different. And I think a lot of players coming over for, from overseas take a year, sometimes more to adjust. Um, and I'm just not willing to take that risk. Um, and I think the upside, um, compare him to Andrew Heaney or like even Eovaldi, who is going, if his, if his velo comes back, um, he could be a top 20 starting pitcher. I just don't see that upside with Senga. Um, but I see all the downside of the, the other pitchers that come over and didn't succeed. So um, that that's what worries me about it. Yeah, that's all totally, totally fair. But um, I've never seen him pitch. So I'm just going off of <laughs> off of uh, what I've seen on baseball reference and looking up other other uh, Japanese players that came over. So, I mean, he, he could be a great pitcher, but um, it's just not it's not my it's not what I'm good at. So I'm, I'm just leaving it alone. Yeah. I, I took him in one gladiator. Um, I, I am very confident in saying Evaldi was gone at that point and Ashby was gone. And I just was kind of like, uh, he, he'd kind of fallen uh, a little bit relative to ADP. And I just felt like he was, you know, it's, it's kind of going for the overall yeah. um, type of thing, but I, I definitely don't expect to have, um, any more Senga uh, after that? Um, like I said, I I uh, I'm not in on a good chunk of these guys, but uh, I'm just not I'm not interested in Fairbanks here. Uh, Pete Fairbanks, um, you know, he's 
I'd project him for like 25 innings. Um, <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> and uh, just, you know, there, you know, there's going after like a, a cheap second closer. Uh, but I mean, he didn't he like, I mean, he he's just, he's averaged to like, yeah, he's averaged like 30 innings a season tops. Um, so um, I just don't really, I don't see the upside for 20 saves there uh, just due to the durability. So I'd rather take a closer spec on, on someone else. Um, so that's, that's my fit. I actually have a lot of Fairbanks and gladiators. Um, but if you're telling me I have to pull the trigger in a, in the 16th round in a thousand dollar draft champions, um, <laughs> I don't think I could do it. Um, the only thing I'll say about Fairbanks is the skills are yeah. off the chart and yeah. He kind of reminds me of of Andres Munoz in the kind of sense of a guy that couldn't stay healthy uh, with great skills. Um, and there is just that chance that he kind of puts it together just for just for one season, um, which is why I think it was great picking Gladiators. It's 50 bucks and you're going for the overall. Uh, but like I said, in, in a higher money league, it's it's tough to pull a trigger like that on the guy I've projected for about 25 innings. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what, so what, like for uh, the Gladiator leagues where you took Fairbanks, uh, how many, how many saves for it to be a successful pick in your opinion? Um, with those skills, if he gets 10, 15 saves, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I was thinking 15. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he could. I mean, I, I usually took him as, say, my, my closer two. Uh, with a guy that I expect 30 saves from, so it puts me at 45. And sometimes my third guy would say it was a Jason Adam. I'd kind of uh, back it up, try to get the two from that team, um, hoping to get maybe 20 to 25 from those two guys. Um, but, I mean, if if he's healthy and he's in there, it's not unrealistic to expect a sub-2 ERA from him. Um, I don't think he gave up a run in his last, what is it, 19 outings last year, I believe, something crazy like that. Yeah, um, he was he was ridiculous down the stretch, that's for sure. But then he got her in the playoffs, so um who knows. <laughs> and yeah, I I also could have said Mondesi, but I, Yeah. <laughs> we we all know the story there. Yeah. All right, Phil. Well, uh so you uh you got a piece coming out tomorrow? Uh yeah, in the FTN draft guide about uh, dropping players. I kind of touch on I've been Again, in big quotation marks, famous because of my uh, major, uh, Jacob deGrom drop um, last uh, 2021, uh, Walker Bueller, that same year. So I kind of touch on on that and um, what led what led me to, to dropping those guys and what I look for in, in uh, when I decide to drop a player. So um, check out the FTN draft guide. Um, there's a bunch of uh, other good pieces in there. Um, Steve has an article in there, uh, Jenny Butler as well. Um, so check that out. Yeah, definitely co-sign that support, uh, support our friends over at FTN support Vlad and, uh, yeah, lots of, lots of good content coming out there. Um, well, Phil, I really appreciate you taking the time, man. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, I, uh, I guess I'll see you in Vegas. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to it. Thanks James, for having me. Had a great time. All right. See you, buddy.